Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good evening, everyone. It is Tuesday, November the 28th, 2023. It is currently 6.04 p.m. Central Time, and I am coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. Now, we're running about four minutes behind. I wanted to start right at the top of the hour. To be honest, I probably should have started even before that because we're going to need every second of every minute. (laughs) We're going to need every second, every minute, every hour. We're going to need everything that we have, every amount of time that we have to try to accomplish this this evening because, ladies and gentlemen, it is time for... Are you ready? It is time for a sermon review. Now, technically, we should probably call it a podcast review because technically it's a podcast episode that we're going to review. So let's let's do this. Ladies and gentlemen, it is time and we're going to need every minute, uh, every second of every minute of the entire hour. Is that a better way to say it? Uh, I said every second, every minute and every hour, but we're, we're going to, we're going to try to do this in about an hour, but we're going to need all of that hour, hopefully to get through that. I don't, I don't think there's any way. I mean, I know there's no way we're going to be able to review all of this in an hour, but I would like to get as far as we can. And then maybe I'll come back for a late night and then we'll do a, a late night episode where we can finish the review, but it's a podcast review. So does that get the same reaction? Does it? Okay, I don't, I don't know if it gets that kind of a reaction. Now, some of you were like, ah, oh, no. Sermon review, no. Podcast review, no. I hate these. Some of you hate them. Some of you love them. But in this particular case, It is not my fault, ladies and gentlemen. I am not responsible for what is about to happen. Someone emailed me. Let's see if I can pull up the email. I'm not going to read the entire thing because they have a, they have obviously, they have a very strong perspective and what occurs in this podcast episode, but this is what they sent me. Let me see if I can find it. Uh, This is what they sent me at 1224 p.m. today, 1224 p.m. today. They sent me an email and this is what it says. I couldn't help myself. I had to ask for your review of this sermon. And then I'm not going to read the rest because they kind of offered their perspective and how they perceived the episode. Now, when I, when I, so I found the audio and I started listening, I realized, well, it's not technically a sermon. It's more of a podcast episode, but it's a podcast episode dealing with, well, you're getting ready to find out. And I, that's all I know. I just started playing the, the very, like the very beginning of it to try to make sure if the sound quality was okay. It sound, I think it is loud enough. And I kind of got a basic idea of what they were talking about. And then I was kind of like, okay, stop and let's do this. So here are the way, this is the way it works, ladies and gentlemen. 
when we do a review, I do not listen first. The reason I don't listen first is that seems to me like you're rehearsing, right? You're rehearsing for your podcast. You're rehearsing. You're like, oh, I listened to this. It was really bad. And you already know your thoughts. And then you play it again. And then you kind of just tear it apart. I don't like to go into it that way. I typically like to go into it completely blind. One, that makes the review to me more interesting. It's like we're a, we're sitting together listening to a podcast and we keep stopping it and talking about it like we're friends. We're, we're reviewing a sermon together. It's just much more organic and more real. My reaction then is not rehearsed. It's real. And a lot, and it also allows me to go into it without, you know, I don't have an agenda. My agenda is just to review it. Now, the person who sent this to me, they seem to, obviously there were things they disagreed with and did not like, but I'm going to set that aside because I'm just going to go into it and like, here's something someone wants me to listen to it. I may like it. I may dislike it. I may agree. I may disagree. Who knows? I may get so frustrated that I'm like, that's it. I can't listen to any more of this. We never know what's going to happen, but at least it's not, it's not contrived. It's not like planned. It's not like, oh, I found something really messed up. Now let's tear it apart. I really go into it going, let's see what we can learn. And hopefully we can learn something. And so that's the plan. Are you ready? Now I could tell you what it's about, but that wouldn't be any fun right now. And now depending on which platform you're listening on, you may see the title. So you may already know what it's about, but we'll let them introduce this. I I'm, I'm pretty sure I subscribe to this podcast. I'm pretty sure, but I obviously have not heard this episode, or maybe I don't subscribe to this podcast, but I think I do. Who knows? Uh, but we're about to find out. Are you ready? We're about to find out everything. So here we go. All right. Someone says that they love the reviews. All right. And you'll notice that's only one person. So that means, you know, that's probably the person who sent me the email. Okay, I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. No, there's there's a, a number of people who really love them and there's a number of people who really hate them. Okay, so, and I think sometimes you hate them just because we never know how they're going to end up. And sometimes we get about 30, 40 minutes into a review and then even I'm like, why am I doing this? Like, who was the, who chose this to do? Whoever did this needs to be fired. And then I realize I'm the one who chose this. But in this particular case, in this particular case, the blame does not fall upon me. It goes to the person who emailed me. Now, to the person who emailed me. All right, I, do, I always have to say this to the people who email me. Look, when you send me a review, always remember there's, a, there's at least a 80% probability that I may not see it or hear it the way you did. So if I disagree or have a different perspective... By all means, don't get upset with me. My job is to try to be as honest and as fair with the review from my perspective as possible. So I'm going to, that's why I'm going to set aside what they said and I'm just going to approach it neutral. And I don't know what's about to happen, but we're about to find out together. So here we go. Welcome, everyone. This is Mike Grimes. I'm joined again today with Pat Abendroth. And today we want to talk about Zionism. And we want to talk about Zionism as it relates to hermeneutics, how it relates to reading and interpreting Scripture. Uh, maybe not something you've thought about when you hear the word Zionism, how you read the Scriptures and understand them, but that's what we want to talk about today. Um, Pat, why don't you just brief? All right, so Zionism is the topic, and I want to talk about Zionism 
and how it relates to biblical hermeneutics. All right. Now, I'm, I'm curious to know which way they're going to go here. I have a feeling which way they may go here, but, uh, but I think, look, this, it's always, this is so important. And I know this is the never ending struggle. So before we even talk about Zionism, let's just talk about when it comes to hermeneutics. The question always is, what is driving your hermeneutic? Is your theological system, your ideology, whatever it is, is that driving your hermeneutic? In other words, is the thing that's influencing your hermeneutic is something like a theological system. And you take that theological system and that theological system says, this is what you're to think and this is how you're to understand scripture. And then you take that, you place it upon your Bible, and now you, in a sense, you then see that system in the pages of the Bible. So in other words, it's not the Bible is what's driving your hermeneutic is not just clear hermeneutical principles, but what's really driving your hermeneutic is this theological system, this ideology, which you've laid on top of the Bible, and then you read it directly into the Bible. We typically would refer to that as eisegesis, where we're inserting, we're reading into the text. And I think that's far more common than anyone wants to admit, See, so we all we, we we have this romanticized idea that it's just us. We take our Bible, we open it up, we read it, we compare scripture with scripture, and we come to this great interpretation because we know how to do Bible hermeneutics correctly. We needed we know how to do Bible study correctly, and that our beliefs are not. We didn't take our beliefs and read them into the Bible, but we believe this because we found it in the Bible. And but the point is, it's so subtle. You can say, tell yourself you believe this because you found it in the Bible, but there's a high probability you believe this and you read it into the Bible. The reason you found it in the Bible is because you put it there. So I, it, it's such a subtle thing. They're, they're, I think they're going to say, how, how does Zionism impact, her, uh, her, you know, quote unquote, hermeneutics? Well, someone who quote unquote is a Zionist could say, no, my Zionism came from the scripture. And they could argue, no, 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 your Zionism, you read into the scripture. Oh, it's always the million dollar question, which came first? We always want to believe that our entire theological system came from us and a Bible. But I think in many, over and over and over, it our, our theological system came first and then we read it into the Bible. That, that I'm just, I, I know that sounds... Jaded and negative, but I, I really believe that's to be, that's true. That's true. There's so many beliefs we have that I think sometimes <laughs> we believe it. And then we, in many cases, I don't even know how much we really want to dig into the scriptures to see if we're right or if, or if we're wrong. But let's see what, maybe, maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they're not going to go in that direction. We will see, but it just feels like that. Hey, Zionism is this thing and it impacts people's hermeneutics. A Zionist would say, no, my hermeneutic, my study of the Bible led me to my Zionism. But let's see how they define Zionism. Good, they're getting ready to do that. And then we'll see where this goes. And I I don't know. I'm kind of excited to see where it goes. I'm, I'm a little apprehensive, but I, I'm at least curious. Let me just say I'm curious. So let's see what's going to happen. Tell us, what is Zionism and how, how does that relate to reading and interpreting Scripture? Before I answer, Mike, I want to ask you what you think of when you hear the word Zionism. <laughs> it, I don't think of Zion Williamson, the basketball player, but... Who, who I'm a fan of, by the way. <laughs> Zionism, I often hear that word, I think, of Israel, the Jews, uh, the nation, and uh, those who are 
uh, looking for the success and uh, fulfillment of Israel and their promises God made to them. That's Good. what I think. Of. Yeah. I, I, I think in similar terms, I think of Israel, the Jews, it's Mount Zion after all. So, and when I think politically, I have positive thoughts when it comes to Zionism. I know it's complicated. It's loaded, uh, controversial. So right from the get-go, I know we're being critical of a certain kind of hermeneutic, uh, the hermeneutics of Zionism. I want to stress at the beginning uh, that we're talking about Christian Zionism. We're talking about uh, a certain way of reading scripture that is Israel-centric instead of Christ-centric, if you will. So when I read a typical definition uh, of Zionism, I often can affirm it because it's speaking in terms of 21st century Jewish people having a right to live in Israel. I'm all for that. I am pro-Israel as a 21st century American. Uh, I love Jewish people. I pray for their salvation, just like I pray for Gentiles. I've been to Israel a bunch of times, plan to keep going. It's a wonderful place. Uh, so when I read this definition, for example, a Zionist is one who believes the Jewish people have a right to live sovereignly and securely in their historic homeland. I agree with that. Would yeah. you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. We'd agree with that 100%. So let's be clear. We don't want to be accused of being anti-Semitic. Right. Uh, I'm probably part, part Jewish, as a matter of fact, so I'm not against myself pretty pretty much for myself. <laughs> so we're, we're talking about something different. We're talking about going backward when it comes to reading the Bible. What do you mean going backward? How would you go backward? Meaning Christians affirm progressive revelation. So what, what we uh, begin with, it progresses. It, it moves forward. We go from Israel to Christ. We go from Israel, Israel who's called a son, uh, to the son, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. So in Christian Zionism, we believe, if we believe that, which we don't, but in Christian, this is really important. According to Christian Zionism, uh, God has made promises to Israel that include a rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem. Mm. And with a rebuilt temple, it's not just for decoration. It's not just for tourism. It's a rebuilt temple that will have a reinstituted priesthood. And if you have a priesthood, what else do you have? You have sacrifices, animal sacrifices. So again, Christian Zionism, this, this approach to reading and interpreting scripture believes there are promises made that are yet to be fulfilled where there will be a rebuilt temple, there will be priests, and they will be doing animal sacrifices, and there will therefore be a new distinction between Jew and Gentile because it will be for the Jews, not the Gentiles. And so... That's going backward. Yeah, I would say, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves here, but thinking going backwards, that as you're talking about those things, it, it sounds a lot like we're talking about Christians who would say eventually we're going to go back to the way it was in Old Testament times. Is that what you're getting at? When you had the Jewish people, the, the, the chosen nation, God's people, and they had the temple, they had priests, they had sacrifices, and all these things that they made sure to uphold and follow— and then you had the Gentiles, the pagans who were outside. And you're saying to go backwards is to say at some point there's going to be a return to that? Yes. So that would be Christian Zionism. And maybe we shouldn't be using this label because it's so loaded and controversial. Um, I'm just trying to avoid the D word uh, as oh, long as we the can. Word. The da, D word. Da, da, da. So really we're talking about dispensationalism. Right. Okay, good. 
That's at least somewhat good. I was starting to get a little irritated because I'm like, for crying out loud, I, I, I've i never considered myself a Christian Zionist. I've never considered myself a believer in Zionism. I've never used that. I've never considered myself that. That's just ridiculous. That, like, Why would you use that title? He wants to avoid the D word, dispensationalism. Well, you know what? Uh, to be fair, I don't like the word dispensationalism either. To me, this is what it comes down to. I pick up my Bible and I read and I start seeing promises made to a nation. That nation is Israel. I look to see if those promises have ever been fulfilled. I don't see that they've been fulfilled. Then I'm left with a hermeneutical decision. I believe that they've been fulfilled spiritually, not literally, not to the nation of Israel, but to the church. And now the church is spiritual Israel. So I have to take a, I have to take promises made to the nation and say, okay, wait a minute. They were not actually made to the nation. They were actually made to the spiritual body, not to the nation. And not only were there promises, they were not literal promises. They were spiritual promises. And so either I go with that direction. It's not really the nation. It's spiritual Israel, not, not national Israel. And it's not literal promises. It's spiritual promises. So land is not land. Israel is not Israel. Temple is not temple. Blah, blah, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I can go that direction or I can go the direction. Hmm. There's all these other promises and they were all fulfilled literally. Born of a virgin, born in Bethlehem, blah, blah, you know, uh, literal, 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 literal. So if all of those were literal, I think these have to be literal. These have to be literal They're for the nation of Israel. And well, it seems that there's going to have to be a temple and these things are going to have to happen. To me, I don't know why you have to refer to someone as a dispensationalist or refer to someone as a Zionist. How about you just refer to everyone who opens a Bible and they have to make that hermeneutical decision. Promises aren't literal and they're not to a literal nation or promises are literal and they're made to a literal nation and everyone then chooses which way they're going to go and they all have their supposed hermeneutical arguments for it. And that's what it comes down to. To me, it's not, I don't have to, I don't have to use the word Zionism. I don't have to use the word dispensational. I just say, here's these passages. Those things never happened to Israel. So, oh, 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 no, 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 no. See, you see that they were supposed to happen to Israel. They happened in the church. Oh, so we get land. No, 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 no. We don't get land. No, 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 no. None of it's literal. It's all figured. Well, wait a minute. Are the first promises literal? Well, yeah, the first promises are literal for the first. Okay, wait a minute. So which is literal and which is not literal? That's really what it comes down to. It's just a difference of opinion on that. Like it, it doesn't have to be like you're of the devil. You're of the devil. It, it has to come down to how are you, what what's your hermeneutic? And if my hermeneutic is well, I'm going to take the promises as literal. I'm going to take the audience they were made to as literal, and I'm going to look for a literal fulfillment. I don't find a literal fulfillment. Therefore, I'm going to say it's future and it will be fulfilled literally. And guess what happens? If we get to the future and it's never literally fulfilled, okay, uh, all right, wow, I was wrong. Um, I should have, I should have realized those promises were for me in the church. I missed out. And, and, and the other way around, you believe that they're for the church and you can claim those promises and think that you're getting them. Fine. And guess what? When we get to the end and if you realize, oh, wait, they were for actual Israel, then you'll realize you're wrong. To me, it's not even really how it plays out in the future, whether you're right or whether I'm right. It, and that's really irrelevant to me. Really, it just comes down to your hermeneutic. To me, this is a hermeneutical battle. 
the hermeneutic is, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. So that part in Isaiah or that part in Ezekiel, that part in the minor prophets, that's literal. Those are literal prophecies that were literally fulfilled. They were literally fulfilled either in the Babylonian captivity, coming out of the Babylonian captivity, the destruction of Tyre and Sidon, and it was and it was literally fulfilled in the first coming of Christ. And, and, and so all of that's literally fulfilled. Yes, yes. Now, all of these promises, those are not literal. Okay. See, I have a problem with that. That seems like an inconsistent hermeneutic. You would be like, no, 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 no. It's not inconsistent. You just need to know how to read. To me, it's a hermeneutical battle. How it's going to play out in the future ultimately has very little bearing on either of us because there's a high probability neither one of us will be alive to, when, we, when it gets there. So, you know, maybe I'm in heaven. I'm like, oh, man. Oh, I, I messed up. I, I, I should have I said those promises weren't literal and they weren't for Israel. Or I'll be like, well, there you go. Okay. Now, obviously in heaven, you're not going to think that way. That I'm, I'm describing us in a very fleshly kind of a sinful way. But the point is how that plays out is how it plays out. To me, the, the impact of the now is it begins to call into question, well, wait a minute. If all of that is figurative, then why don't I put, make the, or, or if all of that is allegorical or all of that is spiritual, all of that is not literal, then why don't I just start going through the rest of the Old Testament going, that's not literal. Maybe Jesus wasn't literally born of a virgin. It's just symbolic. And maybe, maybe that didn't really happen. And maybe, maybe that, maybe God didn't really speak creation into existence. Like where, where do I stop? To me, you begin to open the door. And if you make this not literal, where do you stop? I think that's a I think that's a reasonable, rational concern. I'm not saying the slippery slope argument is always logical. I mean, in fact, in some ways, it's a logical fallacy. But I think it's a it's a it's a concern to say, hmm. So, to me, it's not about Zionism. It's not even about dispensationalism. It's just about reading your Bible, going, huh? We got some promises here. What, what, what do you want to do? It's like having 15 people in a room. All right, here's the promises we just read tonight. It's like you did some Bible reading and then you look at everybody. All right, here's 10 promises we just read tonight. What do you guys want to do? How many believe the promise is literal? All right, see the hands, five of you. How many believe it will be fulfilled literally in the future? Okay, all right, good. All right, how many of you believe that it's spiritual? Okay, and how many believe it won't be fulfilled literally, it'll be fulfilled spiritually, but not for the people the promise was given to, but for this spiritual Israel? Okay, all right. And then that's really what it comes down to. It's not really that complicated. It's not, it's not really, I mean, it's pretty simple and straightforward. Let's see what they do with this. Uh, we're not, this isn't a critique of dispensationalism, uh, at, in a holistic sense, but dispensationalism as it relates to rebuilt temple, priests, sacrifices, renewed distinction between Jew and Gentile. Uh, that's really what we're critiquing, but I maybe on, on purpose want to be a, a bit more subtle and yet a bit more provocative. I'm saying they are Christian Zionists and it is hugely problematic. And so we have a list of problems with Christian Zionism. Uh, and so that's what we're going to work through today. And I think you've got the list. You have my list and we can start working our way through them. Yeah. So we want to work. Th All right. So according to them, anyone who holds to a dispensational view that God is not done with the nation of Israel, that he made promises with Israel and he will fulfill them literally to Israel. You are a Christian nationalist and it's hugely problematic. All right. Now, 
It would be hugely problematic. I, well, we're just going to have to see what they think is usually problematic. The only way I can think it's usually problematic is you disagree with a literal, a literal hermeneutic. Because ultimately, future-wise, I mean, either, either it's going, going to happen or it's not going to happen. Right? Now, I'm, I'm curious. Now, he says they're Christian Zionists. I'm assuming that means he believes that they are Christian. I be, I, I'm assuming he believes dispensationalists are Christians. I, I'm hoping he does. Or if he doesn't, well, I guess then I'm not saved. But I mean, who knows? We'll see where he's going to go. Right now, he called him Christian Zionist. So I'm just going to assume he believes that this is just a disagreement amongst Christians. I believe the issue, to, and I'm going to state it again. I've said it a million times. The debate is not about Israel. The debate is not about a temple or no temple. The debate is about the hermeneutic which you're utilizing to determine how you're going to interpret these passages. Let me state it again. The issue is not about Israel. The issue issue is not about a temple. The issue is not about sacrifice priests. None of that is the issue. The issue is, what do you do when you're reading the Old Testament and it gives these promises and you're like, wait, what do I do with this? Has it been fulfilled historically? No. All right. Now I've got two options. It's... It's figurative, it's spiritual, and it's not for the nation, it's for spiritual Israel. Or it's literal, it's for the literal nation, and it will be literally fulfilled in the future. That's that's what it comes down to. It's just that simple. It's that simple. It's a hermeneutical disagreement. Now, that is problematic. Because I think one hermeneutical perspective can open the door to begin to question every promise as not being literal. I think that's a problem. I'm not saying that that will necessarily happen, but I think it's a problem. And you could argue that by make, reading it, someone could argue, but if you read it too literal, then you miss out on the spiritual promises that are there. And maybe that's true. Maybe that's true. Let's see what they say. Through eight uh, problems of Christian Zionism. So what is the problem with being a Christian Zionist, reading scripture in this way, thinking about going back. Uh, We want to understand and we want to help our listeners understand why is this a problem? Because I think there are many people who would um, tend towards this and they're not even aware that they may tend toward this. So we want to bring it to mind, uh, help you think through it and uh, think wisely about it so that when you're reading the scriptures, we're thinking rightly, we're interpreting the scriptures rightly, um, and making sure to not be Christian Zionists. Okay, so just once again, this is the never-ending problem within Christianity. He, if, you, if you're a Christian Zionist, in other words, if you believe Israel, God made promises to the nation of Israel that will be literally fulfilled, and they, and, and, and they will be literally fulfilled to the nation, then you don't know how to interpret your Bible right. Now, of course, those who believe those things, that God made promises to the nation of Israel that were literal promises and will be literally fulfilled to the literal nation, would say that these people who disagree with it, that they don't know how to interpret the Bible. Isn't it amazing that everyone always thinks that they interpret the Bible right and everyone else interprets it incorrectly? 
Isn't it amazing? But at the same time, we walk around saying, we have the Holy Spirit and he will lead us into all truth and he will give me a break. Okay. Obviously it doesn't work that way or there would be agreement. Nobody ever agrees. Uh, that, that should bother you to no end. After 2000 years, nobody can yet agree, even on promises in the Bible. We can't agree if the promise is literal or if it's spiritual. We can't agree if it's to the nation or not to the nation. We can't. It's just mind-boggling to me how that never that lack of agreement on almost anything doesn't bother more Christians. It should just drive you insane is what it should do. But let's let's see how then and I'm and I'm just going to go at typically I try to set aside I said, well, let's just wait and see how this plays out. But we've talked about these things so much on this podcast. It would be a little disingenuous for me to just try to say, okay, I'm going to be neutral here because clearly I'm on the dispensational side here, right? I'm on the dispensational side. And and again, I don't even like to use the word. I'm on the side that believes God made promises to Israel and they haven't been fulfilled. And I believe they have to be fulfilled literally. The, the end. I don't. I don't. I don't have to accept every point of dispensationalism, and I don't have to do all. All I have to do is like at least that much is where I just hermeneutically don't don't believe I have any other choice unless I'm going to just start throwing out everything in the Bible as not being literal. So um, th- there we go. So uh, he's basically saying I don't know how to interpret the Bible, or they are saying, not he. There's two of them. They are saying. So, okay, I don't know how to interpret the Bible. All right, that's not the first time I've heard that. Won't be the last time. Because, hey, you you, you want a secret? Right? Everybody get really close. Get really close to your speaker. Come on, really close. Right? If you got headphones, press them in. Right? Listen. You want to know how someone, let me state it this way. Do you want to know the number one way to detect when someone is misinterpreting the Bible. Do you want to know? This is 100% foolproof. The number one way to detect when someone is misinterpreting the Bible is when their interpretation disagrees with yours. <laughs> You're not laughing? That's kind of funny, right? The number one way to know when someone uh, someone is misinterpreting the Bible is when their interpretation disagrees with yours. Then immediately you know they're misinterpreting the Bible because what is the standard of biblical interpretation? Your own interpretation. I mean, come on. We have to acknowledge that's the way it works, right? They, they misinterpret the Bible. They don't understand the Bible. They're wrong. Why? Because they disagree with yours. And guess what? Yours is supposedly the standard. You are the the, you know... The magisterium, you are the Pope and your interpretation is infallible and everyone else's is wrong. And it the way it always works? When you disagree with them, it's them who's missed. It's never, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Why is my interpretation so different from theirs? I wonder if mine could be wrong. No, 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 no. It's always like, why are they wrong? You do realize it could be you that are wrong. It could be me. I could be wrong. So just... I just do find I find it somewhat humorous that that that's that's really the way we that's the way we, it actually works is the number one way to determine when someone else is misinterpreting the Bible is when their interpretation disagrees with yours, and it's kind of sad, but it's kind of the way it works. Looking to move backwards, so the first uh, problem with Christian Zionism uh, is that Zionism denies progressive revelation that culminates with Christ. 
Zionism denies progressive revelation that culminates with Christ. And you briefly mentioned this, but talk a little bit more. Christian Zionism denies progressive revelation. Hang on. I, I got I to gotta look at something here. I, I could be wrong. I could be wrong. Hang on. Let me look here. Hang on. I could be wrong here. All right. Well, first of all, he says that they, de- that de- they deny revelation is progressive and that it ends with Christ. Well, let me just, I've got here the Schofield Study Bible from 1917, and right here he says this, right here he says this, Uh, the central theme of the Bible, uh, the central theme of the Bible is Christ. The central theme of the Bible is Christ. It is the manifestation of Jesus Christ, his person, as God met, as God manifests in the flesh, his sacrificial death, his resurrection, which constitutes the gospel. Unto this, all preceding scripture leads. From this, all following scripture proceeds. The gospel is preached in the Acts, and it goes on in just everything. It's Christ, Christ, Christ. Everything leads to Christ. Everything leads to Christ. Everything moves to, towards Christ. Everything ends with Christ. So don't, you, you're, you're, you're not being completely accurate. Now, now, whether we could talk about Schofield and progressive revelation, but he says progressive revelation with things ending in Christ. Well, it, Schofield makes it all about Christ right there in his fifth point in his introduction, a, pan, a, panoramic, a panoramic view of the Bible. That's his fifth point is uh, the central theme of the Bible is Christ. And we talked about this before and one of our um, and one of the studies we did when we looked at specifically uh, the Schofield Reference Bible and everything it had to say. We did a little bit of work on dispensationalism. I'm going to look at something. I'm going to look at something. I'm going to look. Now, remember, when we do the, the reviews, everything's happening in real time. So you got to forgive me. Hang on. I'm looking here. All right, here we go. Um, you see here. I was going to look to see did um, did Schofield believe in progressive revelation? I'm gonna. That did not work the way I wanted to. I'm almost positive he would say, have said yes, but I could be wrong. All right, hang on. Uh, Okay, I'm looking at Schofield here. Okay, here we go. Wait, I think I know where, maybe... Hang on. I'm looking in my Schofield reference Bible here. I thought he had a section where he talked about it being progressive. I thought there was a section where he talked about it being progressive. Um, okay, here. 
I ain't gone. Okay, well, there's okay. This is not completely per, uh, perfect, but he goes on. The dispensations are distinguished, exhibiting the majestic progressive order of the divine dealings of God with humanity. All right, and let me see here. Yeah, I would have to look, but clearly he uh, clearly. He wanted it to he wanted it to be very known that everything leads to Christ. Everything leads to Christ. Everything leads to Christ. Uh, okay, here we go. Yeah. So, yeah, we we could we could do a little bit of work on that. I I I would I, there's a part of me that was that I put it this way. I'm skeptical of claiming that those who are dispensational or those who are quote unquote Christian Zionists are somehow we we reject progressive revelation that ends with Christ. I would strongly disagree because I clearly believe in progressive revelation and I do believe everything ends with Christ. <laughs> so, oh, and I still believe that God made promises to Israel and they will have to be fulfilled. <laughs> I, I I don't know I don't know how that's supposedly contradictory. Maybe there's some who hold to dispensationalism and who hold to God making promises to Israel that have to be literally fulfilled who who reject progressive revelation and don't believe everything ends with Christ, believes everything ends with Israel, but I dis, I disagree. Everything ends with Christ. Israel having those promises fulfilled, it's about God keeping his promises. It's about God being glorified in his covenant keeping. So I, I don't know how, but okay, let's see what they have to say. I just think that that's not, I put it this way. Let me think about this. Okay, so my first church, so I'm, I'm thinking about my, my history through Christianity. My first church was a Southern Baptist church, clearly dispensational, and I learned about, at least heard the term progressive revelation. Um, then I was a Lutheran, so clearly not dispensational. Don't know if I heard a lot about the words progressive revelation. I don't know if I did, but uh, but I, I definitely, you know, obviously was a challenge the whole dispensational view. Right, then I was independent fundamental Baptist, clearly dispensational and clearly taught progressive revelation. In fact, I don't know. I'd have to go count how many schools I've attended. I've attended independent fundamental Baptist schools. I've attended all millennial schools, I, I, everything in between. I think I don't think I ever, ever. In any seminary, Bible college, or Bible institute that I attended or graduated from, I don't think I ever heard any of them deny progressive revelation. I thought all of them accepted progressive revelation, no matter how dispensational they were. So I, I'm, I'm a little perplexed by that. I'm, I'm, I'm obviously there's people out there who deny progressive revelation, but to me, it's always been just one of those things that almost everyone accepted, irregardless of what they believed about Israel and about whether God made literal promises. So this is a weird one to start with. All right, but let's let's let them continue. More about progressive revelation, how Zionism denies that. Yes. So when we look at Hebrews 1, which is a really important text in this whole discussion, and anytime we're talking about talking about progressive revelation, uh, we, we go to Hebrews 1, and it reads uh, as follows. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. 
I have to pause just for a moment because I was preaching through this last Sunday. And so I was told that one uh, young boy in the congregation looked at his dad and said, God spoke to you. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) Because God spoke to our fathers. So anyway, I, I digress. But so we have God who speaks, God who reveals himself in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant world as well. And then verse two says, but in these last days... Uh, so we have progress, we've moved forward, but we have finality, we have climax, we have apex. The text says so importantly and so wonderfully, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things through whom he also created the world. And so we want to stress here, and it needs to be stressed throughout the book of Hebrews. He's spoken, yes, but he's spoken finally climactically by his son, who is none other, none other than heir of all things. And I'm accusing Christian Zionism as denying that in practice, because if culmination happens with Christ, if climax happens with Christ, why do we have to go backward uh, to focus on Israel uh, when actually they were anticipating him? Uh, mm-hmm. He's not anticipating them. Uh, they are anticipating him. They were a son. Uh, and he is the son. Uh, let's not be let's not be regressive. Let's be progressive as we read progressive revelation. How is it regressive to say God made these promises and in progressing through revelation, it will it culminate with a fulfillment of those promises because God keeps his promises and it will be fulfilled with Christ sitting on the throne and ruling over the kingdom, which was talked about not only in the Old Testament, even in the New Testament. So how is that regressive? It's regressive to say God's going to keep his promises. <laughs> no, no. Hey, guys, 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 no, no, no. you don't want to look for some future promise. That's regressive. I mean, if God made a promise to Israel and he fulfills it, bad on God, he's going backwards. How is that regressive in any way, shape, or form? It's progressively saying God made the promise and progressively as we move forward, it will culminate with the fulfillment of said promise. God will be glorified. He will prove that he keeps he is faithful even when we are unfaithful that his uh, his calling and election is sure i don't know it's hey so it's regressive and he just he quotes hebrews one Yeah, well, I, I think maybe someone in the chat just said it, it feels like that they're including their view in the very definition of progressive revelation. May I think may, in some ways they are. They're like progressive revelation is what we say it is. And progressive revelation, you deny it if you disagree with us. If you disagree with us, then you don't believe in progressive revelation. And then he just quotes Hebrews chapter one and like saying dispensationalists don't believe Hebrews chapter one. Like, what are you talking about? We believe that God spoke in different ways in times past or diverse ways to use the King James. He spoke in different ways in the past, but today, but now he speaks to us through his son, Jesus Christ, and all revelation will ultimately culminate with Christ. Even Schofield says that in his own study Bible, that all revelation is moving towards Christ. So, I mean, if you're going, if you're going to tell me that dispensationalist, quote, Zionist, who believe that God made promises to Israel that he will keep literally, 
that somehow we deny progressive revelation, then show me in Darby, Schofield, show me somewhere where they say it. Give me the name of the book. Give me the page number. And I will go look at it and go, huh, well, they did. All right. Well, let's condemn that. You can't paint everyone to say, like, like, I mean, at least I don't, I don't see anything in the Schofield Bible that would, would do that. Even, even, even his referencing system is progressive. He starts with the first use of a term and then progressively shows you the last use of the term so that you can progressively see how your, his, the cross reference, how you're looking this up. Like, here's the first mention of this and here's the last mention. And so you can progressively follow it through Revelation. It's almost progressively outlined that way, even in his cross-referencing system. I, I Man, that, I, that, that's a little irritating, but I'm going to be patient. 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 I'm going to be patient because I'm, I'm very patient. So we'll let and see. With, and I'm not really very patient, but we'll, we'll see where this goes. And that's what I'm getting at. And I think this leads into the next problem with Christian Zionism. When you say that if he's the, the climax, the heir of all things, uh, the one in whom all these things uh, find their fulfillment and the substance, uh, brings us to another problem with Zionism. And it's that, number two, Zionism demands that we reject the sufficiency of Christ. Okay, just please know, number one, no proof. Zero proof. He didn't quote from any work of someone who's supposedly a Zionist or a dispensationalist. He didn't go to the Schofield Bible to show where this place is. He didn't quote anything. He goes to Hebrews and is like, they don't believe it because we say so. And now, secondly, we deny the sufficiency of Christ. Now, this one, I think I know where they're going to go with this one. I think. And I may say, hmm, you, you may have a point here. Because it does raise some questions. I, this one, I'm, I'm willing to at least acknowledge that there are some problems here. Now, let, let me, this is, I know this is going to blow everyone's mind, but let me, let me try to explain this. See, I don't believe in loyalty to a team. See, I don't believe that I have to be loyal to the dispensationalist. I don't ha- believe I have to be loyal to the non-dispensationalist. I think what I have to be loyal to is scripture. And I believe whatever theological system you have, if you're even remotely honest with yourself, there's always points within that system that you're kind of like, oh man, I don't know about that. That really has some problems. And guess what? I'm not bound by it. So if I want to take, if I want to believe that God made absolute literal promises to an absolute literal nation and that he will absolutely literally fulfill them, I can believe that and not know exactly how that works or, or, or even acknowledge that that could be problematic. I, I don't have to go, well, well, the system that holds to that says you have to believe all this. No, I don't. I don't have to believe anything a system tells me. I am not bound to a system. I am bound to scripture. And scripture, I know, I know this is going to come as a shock. It's not as clear as we like to pretend that it is, because if it was, we wouldn't have thousands of denominations and th- hundreds of thousands, millions of commentaries where nobody agrees. But like, so according to this, if I'm a dispensationalist or I'm a Zionist, as they accuse me of, I deny progressive revelation. Didn't even bother proving that one. I completely reject their, I, 
unless they give me some better proof than that, because considering I've gone to plenty of schools that are dispensationalist where I was taught progressive revelation. So that, that I'd like, I've never been to, I know I just, I completely reject their first point as being invalid until offered better proof than no proof. Now, the second one is that we believe Christ is not sufficient. All right. Well, wait, isn't John MacArthur, isn't John MacArthur a dispensationalist? Oh, he is. Wait, doesn't John MacArthur believe that God made literal promises to a literal Israel that will be literally filled? Oh, he does. And did he not write a book called The Sufficiency of Christ? Oh, he obviously doesn't believe in the sufficiency of Christ. All right. All right. Yeah, being a little sarcastic here, but okay, let's see how all of these dispensationalists, Zionists, as they're being called, don't believe in the sufficiency of Christ. Let's hear. Indeed, it does. Uh, And what Christian would affirm that? No Christian would. Right, nobody would. But let's stop and think and not lose our minds when it comes to interpreting the Bible. Uh, We want to realize that Christ is the ultimate priest, Mm. right? Yeah, uh, and and he's the ultimate sacrifice, not a slaughtered animal. Uh, those were meant to look forward to him, but he's the sufficient sacrifice, the once and for all sacrifice. Uh, we don't need a rebuilt temple with uh, sacrifices now that he has come. We don't need that in the Middle East. We don't need it anywhere. Uh, and we know this to be true because, again, Hebrews tells us. Hebrews ten is near and dear to every Christian's heart. Let's just keep it in mind when we're interpreting uh, how we view Israel. Hebrews 10.10 says, And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. The three important words come then, once for all. Verse 12 then says, When Christ had offered for all time, again, sufficiency once for all, then for all time, a single sacrifice, that's sufficiency, a single sacrifice for sins. He sat down at the right hand of God. So work done, sufficiency again. Verse 14 then reads, for by a single offering, sufficiency again, he has sufficiency again, perfected for all time. There he, he says it again, sufficiency, those who are being sanctified and I I can't get that out of my mind. That has to influence, as a Christian, the way I would view someone who tells me there has to be a different priest. There has to be more animal sacrifices. There has to be a rebuilt temple, never mind the fact that Jesus says he is the temple. Right, yeah. And yet... Here, here we are, um, forgetting our soteriology, our doctrine of salvation, forgetting our Christology, our doctrine of Christ, uh, when it comes to supposedly um, reading the promises of God uh, that supposedly indicate that there will be a future rebuilt temple with animal sacrifices, with priests, as Christian Zionism insists. So if you... Now, the reason... I'm assuming they're going to tell us this. The reason that Christian dispensationalist Zionists believe in a future temple with future sacrifices may have something to do with Ezekiel chapter 40 through 46. So once again, this comes down into not denying the sufficiency of Christ. This comes down into down to how do you handle Ezekiel 40 through 46? How do you handle it? What do you do with it? 
How do you read it? That's what it comes down to. Let's see if they at least mention it. Are looking for a rebuilt temple. If you're looking for the reinstitution of animal sacrifices and you're looking for the priesthood to uh, come back in the sense that you're talking about, I mean, it really does. It, it takes what Christ has done and erases it in a sense and says that that wasn't it. That wasn't enough. We're going to go back to the system. I mean, how do they square that? How do, how do they square that that's an okay thing? I mean, is it, well, these are going to be memorial sacrifices, or these are going to be yes, something yes. just to honor what you Christ grew, is? You grew up in dispensationalism. I sure did. <laughs> yeah, memorial sacrifices. So supposedly, uh, it's a problem for Christian Zionism, because uh, they're going to say, yes, all of these things are future. Ezekiel 45 is to be taken literally hmm. and futuristically, and as something God will be pleased with. And so then we, we give pushback and say, well, wait a second, you, you really want priests? You, you, you really want sacrifices in light of Hebrews 10? And they say, oh, yes, we have to, to have a faithful reading of Scripture. Uh, we're going to go backward. We're going to go back to all of those things. And so when we say, well, well what do those sacrifices do? Uh, a dispensationalist would say, well, they're memorial sacrifices, uh, as you did. Never mind the fact that if we're going to take that as something God is pleased with, and literally uh, that text actually says on at least three occasions uh, to make atonement for them, to make atonement, to make atonement. And so if you want to take that text literally, uh, as we're supposedly told to do, they're not memorial, they're atoning. Hmm. And so it actually creates an even bigger problem. Yeah, I think it's important to think about if you're going to look for those sacrifices and say they're important and they're just going to be a memorial sacrifice, I mean, Ezekiel 45 says it, just like you said, to make atonement, to make atonement. That doesn't doesn't gel, doesn't no, square. No. You and, can't be doing that. It rejects Christ's sufficiency, and that's that's a big, big problem. And Now, I will be the first to admit that the, the apparent promises of a rebuilt temple with sacrifices— is somewhat problematic. I'll be the first to admit it. I, it. It causes problems. Like, why Why would that happen? I don't know. I don't know. But see, while they're pointing out the problem, well, wait a minute, these sacrifices in Ezekiel, well, I mean, what are you going to do with it? It's problematic. Well, here's what I would ask you. What do you do with Ezekiel 40 through 48, where it's and all of these very detailed, specific things about a temple that supposedly isn't even real? See, you read it and like, oh, spiritual, spiritual, spiritual. None of it's real. It's all allegorical. It's all spiritual. Well, to me, that's just a big problem. Now, I agree. If you get into Ezekiel 45 and it refers to these sacrifices as being atoning, I agree. That is somewhat problematic. I got no problem acknowledging that. And anyway, I think there's probably plenty of dispensationalists who struggle with it. Like, what do I do? I know what Schofield says. Yes, he says they're memorial sacrifices. It's on page 890 of the, um, of the Schofield uh, re- reference Bible. And, um, the, uh, the, um, the actually the offerings they say are 45. Actually, they're mentioned in chapter 43, starting in verses 19 and following. All right. Then in 45, um, well, you've got the Lord's portion of the land. You've got the portion of the prince. Um, where? 
There's a sin offering, okay? There are the offerings are mentioned a little bit in 45. I think mainly typically you talk about them in 43. I could be wrong, I could be wrong because you have the measure of the altar in 43. Then you have the offerings. Uh look at 43:19 and thou shalt give to the priest the Levites that be of the seed of Zadok, which approacheth unto me to minister unto me, saith the Lord God, a young bullock for a sin offering. And thou shalt take of the blood thereof and put it on the four horns of it, and on the four corns, four horns of it, and on the four corners of uh, of the settle, and upon the borders round about. Thou sh- uh, thus shalt thou cleanse and purge it. So it does talk about the offerings. I got no problem admit- admitting that. The issue is, see, you, you can, you can just go to that and go, well, there's offerings. So you deny the sufficiency of Christ. That's just not accurate or fair because any dispensationalist say, no, Christ's sacrifice is sufficient once and for all. They say that all the time. The issue is, the issue is, what do you do with Ezekiel 40 through 48? What do you do? That's the, that's the million dollar question. You can say, I'm sorry, all of that, all those instructions and all of those details, none of it, it's literal. None of it's literal. It's just all allegorical, spiritual, and it can mean whatever we want it to mean. Or others were like, look, I don't know. I don't understand it. Makes no sense to me. I don't know if I can even figure it out. But it's eight chapters talking about some temple that has never been built. I'm going to say it's literal. That's what it comes down to. It's not like, oh, they're denying. It's just completely not accurate or fair to say that Schofield would have denied the sufficiency of Christ's sacrifice or that any other Zionist, if you want to use the term Zionist, dispensationalist would say that. That's just not fair. And even the slightest way, show me where you have a dispensationalist saying, we do not believe in the sufficiency of Christ. I think many will be like, it appears there's going to be sacrifices. I have no idea why it's happening. Makes no sense to me. I'll be the first to admit it. I'll be the first to admit. And I'll be the first to say that that raised questions in my mind a long time ago when I was much more hostile towards the dispensationalist approach. I would have went to the same thing. But at some point then I had the other problem. Well, if I reject this because I'm like, well, that doesn't make any sense that there's animal sacrifices, then I've got eight chapters of detailed instructions on measurements and how to build a temple that's never going to be built because it's all spiritual and none of it's literal. That is, to me, is just as problematic as the other. That's what it comes. All of this is just a hermeneutical disagreement. It's not like, ooh, they deny the sufficiency of Christ. Ooh, they deny progressive revelation. Please note, so far, they haven't even quoted anybody remotely connected to any of these movements from any authoritative book that says these things. Let's, Let's just let them play this out and then we will stop. Historically, Christians have not held that view. It is a, a kind of new, nouveau, bizarre kind of view, and it's for good reason because Christians have uh, understood that there's only one ultimate atoning sacrifice for sins. So, yeah. now we're not really trying to deal with Ezekiel 45 in this podcast, but the, you know, is it a prophecy uh, that these things are going to happen? But it not is not pleasing to the Lord. Uh, is uh, Ezekiel using? Uh, language that he doesn't mean to be taken literally, but he's using the language that he's familiar with, uh, and it's looking forward to Christ. There are different options, uh, which really aren't the option. It's not in our purview what we're talking about sure, now. Yeah. But 
um, to, to insist on literal um, is not something that even the Zionists do themselves as Christian Zionists. Yeah. And, and I get so sick of that. Oh, it, it's well, not what the early church believed. Well, let's go back to the early church. Let's go back to the early church. Oh, let's, uh, oh, let's baptize people in the nude. Let's go, let's go back to some of the crazy things done in the early church. Let's go back to some of that. Cause I always get so tired of that. Well, that's not what the early church did. No. Well, let's go back to the early church, which, and isn't it amazing? Which early church doctrine do you want to go with? Which early church doctrine do you want to go with? Where, where, where? So it's like, well, the early church didn't believe that, but the early church believed that. Well, I know I don't believe that. Well, the early church believed that. Well, no, I don't believe that. Well, the early church, well, no, I don't believe that. So then you don't really care about what the early church, either the early church is the authority or they're not the authority. If they're the authority, then let's go back. And at what part does the church stop being the authority? 1200? 1000? 1000 AD? 800 AD? When does the church stop being the authority? Because we always say, well, the early church didn't believe that. Okay, then that means they're authoritative. Whatever the early church believed is what we have to follow. Well, when do you stop following the early church? Because at some point you're going to become Catholic. Such a, so, it's so lazy. Well, the early church didn't believe that. And guess what? Give me all your doctrine. Let's see how many of those we find in the early church probably find many of them being absolutely contradicted by the very early church that you're now acting like is authoritative. Because if the early church didn't teach dispensationalism, well, then it can't be right. Well, okay, well, then then I got to believe everything the early church said. Well, no, 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 because there comes a point that you don't believe that anymore. So wait, wait, is it the fourth uh, ecumenical council, the fifth ecumenical council, the sixth, the seventh? Which council do then I say, well, no, I don't believe what the church says anymore. Oh, it's just so, oh, so, it's so just a cop out. And I was like, well, we, we don't, I mean, there's a lot of different ways of interpreting Ezekiel 45. Well, that's great. There's a lot of different ways. And guess what? Some would say one of the ways is to interpret it literally. Now, does that create problems? Yes. And guess what? All the other ways of interpreting it creates problems because it's complicated and it's not simple. All right. We're going to have to stop there. We're going to have to stop there. We will stop at 27, 50, and we'll see if we can get to that. I don't know if we'll get to it tonight, maybe tomorrow. We'll get to it at some point. All right. Sounds good. I hope so. We're going to stop right there. Thank you for tuning in. I hope that was somewhat beneficial, I guess. According to them, if you hold to... This idea, if you hold to the fact that God made literal promises to literal Israel that will be literally fulfilled, you supposedly then deny progressive revelation, which is news to me, and you supposedly deny the sufficiency of Christ, which is news to me as well. So I'm glad they know what those of us who believe that God made literal promises to a literal nation that will be literally fulfilled. I'm glad they told us what we believe, even though they didn't cite any source from anyone who holds to, to um, quote-unquote dispensationalism, or as they like to label it, Christian Zionism, they didn't quote anyone stating what they just said that we believe. <laughs> but okay, okay. Hey, so, you know, I, I, I guess that's good to go. Hey, I'll just make a podcast saying, anyone who believes this, this is what you deny. 
Now, I could argue that what you believe is inconsistent with these concepts. So I guess you could try to make an argument that it's against progressive revelation, but he didn't come anywhere close to pointing it out. He's claiming that because we believe that Ezekiel seems to imply there's going to be a new temple and there's going to be sacrifices, that that means we don't believe in the sufficiency of Christ. It just may mean that we are like, I don't understand it, but this is what the Bible seems to teach. And if I don't go with this interpretation, the other ones make even less sense. So I don't understand it, but that, that doesn't mean I'm denying the sufficiency of Christ. It just means my hermeneutic seems to lead me to saying this is what I think is going to happen, even though I don't understand it. That, that's acceptable, ladies and gentlemen. All right. Newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com to the person who emailed me and asked me to do this. Hopefully, I've, the first part has been beneficial. If it's not, blame. I don't know who to blame. I, but I, I did the best I could. Hopefully, part two will be better. All right. Thank you for listening. Everyone have a great night. God bless.